You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Today is the 1st of June, and it marks the start of Pride. Now, I want you to imagine what you hear and what you see when I say Pride or Pride parades or marches or celebrations. I know what plays in my head. Canadian cities, from Toronto to Montreal to Vancouver, have some of the world's largest and most boisterous pride celebrations. But we also, in Canada, have some of the smallest. What is it like to celebrate pride in a tiny community, in a community where you know everyone who joins the parade, you know everyone who stays home, and you also know the people who show up to protest? For young people in what are often very religious communities, who have just come out, or who are wrestling with that decision, what does small-town pride mean? What does it mean to these towns? And what do these towns need to make their pride celebrations bigger? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Shell Turingen is the co-director, producer, and editor of a new doc from Extra called Small Town Pride. Hey, Shell. Hi, Jordan. Before we get into the details, um, maybe just tell me, which small towns did you guys go to? Absolutely. So we went to um, Tabor, Alberta, uh, which has a population of about 9,000 people. Uh, we also visited Annapolis Royal in Nova Scotia, and they have a population of about 500 people. And uh, our last location was in Norman Wells in the Northwest Territories, and they have a population of about 800 people. This documentary is fascinating, um, and I love the idea behind it. And we're going to get into the specifics of where you went and, and what you saw. But can you just start by you know explaining in general what is so fascinating and meaningful about Pride in small town Canada? So um, my partner of 12 years uh, grew up as a closeted queer teen in the mid-90s, much like myself. Uh, only she grew up in a small town um, nestled in the, also, uh, in the Ottawa Valley. Um, this would have been in the mid-90s when, uh, you know, the internet and GSAs and all of that good stuff um, wasn't readily available to us. And um, in 2018, her small town um, called Smith Falls celebrated their first um, Pride event. I think it was about 50 people maybe that walked down their main street with their rainbow flags. And um, her mom was there and uh, she got very emotional. And I asked her if she was okay. And she said, I just never thought I would see this happen um, here in my small town. And um, it struck me as someone who's grown up in a big urban center um, with a wealth of resources available to me, uh, that that wasn't the case for um, other people in my generation. And, and I, it made me curious to know what was going on um, in other small towns across Canada. And we had seen in that particular summer um, an uptick and a trend that a lot of small towns across um, the country were starting or were having like their second or third um, pride events. And so we saw that as an opportunity to go and try to speak to some of these folks and see what they're doing now and how different 
the work that they're able to do is now than it was just as short as 20 or 30 years ago. Right. And that's kind of the next thing I wanted to ask is, is this is a really recent phenomenon, right? And how and when did the shift happen? Or is it just different for every town kind of reaches the level where, you know, they can, they're ready to take this step, if that's a good way to put it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors involved, right? It's like you can have, um, like, take a look at uh, some of the towns in our documentary, like Norman Wells has a population of about 800. Annapolis Royal has a population of about 500. Um, but they had the 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 people and the willingness to get the work, um, the important work done there. Um, and then you have a place like Tabor, which has a population of 9,000 people. And, you know, they, they also have their, their communities that are trying to break through, but then, um, you know, they, they receive a lot of resistance from their, uh, their local council, um, some of the other people in their community. And so, you know, size doesn't really, it's not like there's a threshold where you hit, oh, okay, we're at this population. And so now this is something that we can do. I, I think a lot of these changes are happening organically. And we just wanted to highlight the work that these people are doing. It it doesn't look unlike a lot of the political activism that, um, you know, the bigger cities have done, like, in the 70s and 80s. And I found that um, that comparison uh, and the similarities there very interesting. I think, like most things in small towns, the change just comes there a little bit later. Um, and so they seem um, to be experiencing um, kind of that, that sea change now, it seems, which is fantastic. And, you know, I think part of making the film is to draw attention to these small places um, and to let these communities know that, you know, they're supported by us and by everyone. Um, I think a lot of people too can, I think there's a lot of people, especially in Canadian experience, um, much like my partner who grew up in small towns and then um, move into big cities and um, because they think that that's perhaps the only option they had, but that's, you know, we want to, we wanted to showcase that these small places are trying to create inclusive spaces. Not everyone has the, the privilege or the, the resources to, to leave their towns. And so, you know, they're staying and trying to make these places, places where they feel safe, not just for them, but for generations that come after them. Can you tell me more about how these events are similar to the earlier prides in the big city. We had uh, Extra's editor-in-chief, Rachel Giza, on the program, I think uh, a couple of years ago, to speak about how, well, pride in places like Toronto or New York is now like this huge colorful celebration. Its roots are in protest, right? Yes, absolutely. And you can certainly see that in these smaller pride events. I mean, obviously, the scale is much smaller. The, the attendance is much smaller. Um, you know, they're most of the time if they're having a pride march or parade, um, you know, they're just they don't have like this huge young street to walk down. Um, mm. And so it's it's them walking down the main street that they'll have to go to, you know, Monday morning to 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 run their errands and pick up their groceries and run into their neighbors. And uh, I think it's not uncommon now to see the big urban centers be highly commercialized, like, you know, that millions of people in attendance, um, many sponsored floats um, by huge corporations. Um, and in these smaller places, you know, it's it's 16 year olds marching with their, you know, with their GSA and their homemade signs that they made in class, which is really a very powerful thing to see. I was going to ask you about that, about how does it change the dynamics 
in a small town of choosing to attend, uh, whether or not you identify as, you know, LGBTQ2, but choosing to put yourself out there when everybody knows who you are and you know everybody who's going to see you and, you know, the sizes of some of these marches that you show in the dock, there's no blending into a huge crowd, right? Like everybody knows it's you, you know who's there and who's not. Yes, absolutely. I think um, Zainab says that right in the first few minutes of the film in that, um, and I think she had it right on in that, you know, some people find comfort in the anonymity of big city prides, right? Like oftentimes people from these small towns will go to their largest big city and have their pride there and they can be open and they can be themselves and feel safe and feel free. And then when they leave pride that weekend, you know, they go back home, they strip off their glitter and their stickers and, you know, they can <laughs> slip back into their normal lives. But when you, you know, when you are walking in your small town um, pride parade or you go to your small town pride event, uh, you know, you're there with the four or 500 other people in your town. <laughs> and so you're likely to get recognized. It's yeah. it's both a blessing and a curse, right? Um, in that uh, you're you're wanting to create that visibility for yourself, but you're also putting yourself, um, you know, at risk in a, in a very real and tangible way. Um, and so like numbers are very important in these smaller places too, right? Um, it, it's funny that a place like Anna Annapolis Royal has 500 people, but their turnout is can be anywhere between two and 300 people, which is half the town. <laughs> so it's it's much more, um, I think the stakes can be a lot higher if you're attending Pride, uh, especially if you're living in that place the other 364 days of the year. And for people who aren't queer, how important in those towns is allyship, right? I mean, you mentioned when half the town comes out, like that changes the dynamic. 100%. Allyship is uh, was is very important. I mean, we have some very strong allies in the film, as you um, as you saw Sarah Kelly, for example, um, who is the supervising teacher of the of the GSA up in Norman Wells. And I think you know some of the uh, these allies they they may not have you know a personal connection to um, to the LGBTQ 2s plus community, but they feel that this is just the right and important thing to do. And they're also putting themselves um, at risk because they're using their their allyship and whatever um, privilege that they have with that to help this cause along. So allies are, are an extremely important element to, to living in these spaces, for sure. On the other side of that, how do queer people in these places, I don't want to say deal with, but how, how do they handle being able to see who's not there and and even more importantly than who's not there you know who is at city council speaking against it um and and who is you know trying to prevent this thing from happening yes um 100% i think um that's certainly um an an issue that the folks in tabor deal with uh every day i think uh those folks are in incredible. They've been fortunate enough to create um, the organization, the Tabor Quality Alliance. Um, and I think that's been a really important resource, particularly for the young people in that town um, to get involved. Um, and so I, I think it's it's very lucky that they they have this organization is and this resource is available to the queer community um, there. 
so that in their normal lives, when they're still experiencing discrimination, they know at least they have this um, this one safe space. I believe, I think Jace Wilson had mentioned in the documentary as well that aside from the weekend that Pride happens, um, most people in the town that they know, like they remain closeted um, the rest of the year. Um, but knowing that they can have uh, an organization like that outside of Pride, uh, I think is is one of the greatest ways that folks in our community can get the help and uh, resources that they need. The big story will be back in just a minute. Tell me about some of the younger people uh, in these small towns who are wrestling with the decision to come out or not and and how they can often you know, leverage that sense of community at these events to make that move a little easier. Totally. Well, I think, the, first of all, the students at the GSA and Norman Wells were wonderful, bright, uh, charming, funny, witty uh, young people. And um, I think it speaks to just kind of the level of acceptance that has changed as well over um, the generations and the decades. I don't think I was that articulate or present or um, right. Uh, <laughs> as uh, I didn't have that activism spirit uh, when I was 16. And so it's it's so and for these young kids now, it's it's almost like a part of their um, vocabulary. And uh, it's it's second nature to them, which is so heartwarming to see. And so um, not to say that their struggle is any um, less than mine was 20 or 30 years ago, but they I think there's just been a change uh, culturally and and in the society in which these younger people feel like they can come up at a that they can come out at a younger age. And so when you add that with, a, you know, with a teacher that is creating a space for them to have these conversations in school as well. You know, you're, you, if you give, if you build it, they will come, right, Jordan? <laughs> right. So yeah. I think Sarah came uh, came to Norman Wells and was able to to set up that that group for them. And you know, when a ch- when a child feels safe, you know, their their potential is limitless. I want to ask about something that I don't know if you encountered or not. But one of the questions that I really had about the aftermath of these events is if they managed to convert anyone um, who may have otherwise been opposed to it, who may have otherwise not wanted it in town or not attend to, you know, coming around to viewing like there is a whole community of queer people here and it's fine. Like, especially in some of the the deeply religious towns. Totally. I mean, I'm, uh, I, I can't speak to if any conversions happened <laughs> as a result of any right. of these events. I, I would imagine and suspect that some of the hearts they want to change wouldn't be in attendance anyways, right? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. perhaps, you know, if they're, if they were uh, running their errands uh, that weekend and they p- happen to pass by the park and they, you know, they see the the rainbow flags and they see the trans flags and they see that something's happening like that. That is a small step towards visibility, which I think is important, particularly in towns like Tabor. Um, but more interestingly, I think that these small events actually help other queer people um, connect with each other, particularly in um, Annapolis Royal. It was funny because, uh, you know, we were speaking to a bunch of different people, people in all of the places and we spoke to Zainab uh, and we spoke to um, uh, an older couple, uh, Judy and Donna, who spoke a little bit about their experience. And uh, these two people did not know each other. And um, 
when Judy and Donna went to go partake in the Pride event at Annapolis, they met Zainab. And I would hope that they took that opportunity to see um, where I think I think Donna was maybe interested in like joining their pride committee. And, um, you know, that might not have been um, a possibility if hmm. they didn't have this big yearly event to connect with each other. Um, so I think that is for me, it's less about converting the masses and it, it's more about connecting people with one another. For sure. I want to ask you. Lastly, just a, a question about your experience. You know, as you mentioned, um, you've been in Toronto for some time. You've been to lots of pride celebrations here. Uh, so have I. What can huge cities uh, that do these big events like Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver take from the documentary you made and what's going on in these small towns? That's a great question. I think to remember um, where we started, our humble beginnings is what I hope some of the organizers in bigger prides can take away from this. I love big pride. You know, I love going to Toronto Pride as much as I love going to Pride in Smith Falls um, for very different reasons. They serve different purposes. They serve the same purpose in that, you know, pride is to celebrate who we are, right? And I think something that maybe the bigger prides can take away is even though the scale is much larger, um, you know, I still think there's room in programming to create um, smaller events um, throughout that weekend or that week or um, that month that have more of that grassroots feeling to their community uh, outreach and, and uh, ways for people to connect on a more intimate level at Pride. So I'm hoping that that is something that people will take away from the film. Shell, thank you so much for talking to us today. And everybody should get a look at this film. Where can they go? Um, absolutely. So um, Small Town Pride is uh, premiering at the Inside Out Film Festival, which is running from May 27th to June 6th. And if you go to the Inside Out uh, website, um, you can purchase tickets to watch Small Town Pride over there. For free. For free in Ontario. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Just getting the plug in. Thanks again for joining us. Oh, thank you so much, Jordan. It was a pleasure. Shell Turingen is a video journalist with Extra, the co-director, producer, and editor of Small Town Pride. You can find free tickets to Small Town Pride by going to insideout.ca slash toronto-films. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can, of course, email us anytime, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And we're in whatever podcast player you prefer, whether it's a smart speaker, whether it's Amazon Music, whether it's Spotify or anything else, you will find the big story. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.